Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone-cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, by all accounts, the Nutcracker in the Four Realms should be our shit. Is it? We'll find out. None of us has seen this movie before, and now we've watched it. I literally watched it for the first time last night. I watched it twice yesterday, once in the middle of the day, and the other just when it was super late. So, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm always tired. That's the secret. You're always scared, Peggy. <laughs> You're always tired. We'll workshop it. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. We talked a little bit about it before we started recording, and I think we actually have a brand new fact about the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. I guess we'll sort of find out together if that is, in fact, how this movie functions or not as we talk about it. But I think our general consensus is that our new fact is the Nutcracker in the Four Realms is a stepping stone to other greater films. (laughs) When we say greater films, we mean Jupiter Ascending. (laughs) Just so we're all clear. God, I love Jupiter Ascending. (laughs) Everything should aspire to be Jupiter Ascending. The gun goes bark, bark. The gun goes bark, bark. I watched Jupiter Ascending recently with a friend who'd never seen it before. And when we got to the scene where the gun goes bark, bark for the first time, uh-huh. he just started laughing hysterically and couldn't stop. Yes. <laughs> well, that's the part where I feel like everything in Jupiter Ascending peaks and you realize that there's a Channing Tatum with elf ears, space roller skating down an alleyway, shooting a gun that goes bark, bark. And I think that's the moment when your brain just kind of accepts what's happening. <laughs> My God, we could talk about Jupiter Ascending all day. We did talk about it all day. Go listen to that episode. It's a good episode. And then come back and listen to this episode. (laughs) Spoilers, in the intervening years, our opinion has not changed about Jupiter Ascending. It is still great. It's still amazing. (laughs) But in the meantime, we're looking at 2018's The Nutcracker in the Four Realms, which is like, sits in a weird quasi place in the Disney quote unquote live action remake scenario. And that this is... Loosely based on, you've heard of the Nutcracker, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, the thing it has the most in common with is those Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland movies. Yeah. Yes, it feels a lot like that, but without quite as much Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. Yes, not as quite as much Helena Bonham Carter, and a little more coherence. Honestly, there's a little less focus on what if whimsy was slightly creepy. Yeah. Instead, there's just. Regular creepy. Yeah. And also, like every one of these live-action Disney reboots, it had no lasting cultural impact whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, this movie was a box office bomb. You know, they probably weren't completely counting on that. I don't know why Disney does this. Every couple of years, they'd come out with a huge box office bomb that they think is going to be a good thing based off of a property that they snapped up for cheap. Hey, what's up, John Carter? (laughs) John Carter was going toe-to-toe with the Hunger Games. It never stood a chance. God, no. I looked up what this one is up against, but I immediately forgot it because that's just kind of what this movie is. Nobody's full on Bohemian Rhapsody, it says. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, no. The Academy was always going to just go bananas over Bohemian Rhapsody, no matter how, like, weirdly it was shot. Yeah. If there's a music biopic, the Academy's gonna love it. It's about a gay man. If we go see it, then we support the gays. Homophobia's cured. Homophobia's cured. That's it. We went to go see a movie about a gay, possibly bisexual man. We went to see the movie. AIDS is over. (laughs) We did it. We did it. We solved it. (laughs) We gave awards to the gay movie. (laughs) Homophobia's over. (laughs) 
there's a lot of star f***ing in this movie. There's also some really weird uh, creative team work here. Listen to this, folks. <laughs> this movie is directed by Lasse Hallstrom. He directed a lot of things, but here's the highlights list. Cider House Rules. What? What's Eating Gilbert Grape? What? More recently, <laughs> Hachi A Dog's Tale. <laughs> a Dog's Purpose. I guess he just got into sad dog movies. Oh, no. And what he's actually best known for, directing basically every single ABBA music video. What? Money, money, money. Yes. What? Must be funny. Yes. What? In the rich man's world. <laughs> ABBA. That's him. This is the most eclectic filmography I've ever heard of my life. The screenplay is also written by Ashley Powell, who has exactly two credits to her name for anything on IMDb. And it is this movie and an upcoming adaptation of The Paper Magician. So I have no idea where this woman came from. I assume just like indie stuff that was too small for... Well, I don't know how Disney heard about her. That's my question. Then, late, late... Late after production had wrapped, they went back and did a month of reshoots, 32 days of reshoots and rewrites. And I couldn't find any other information about this in a very cursory Google search because that's about as much research as I'm willing to do. There's a co-director on this movie. This is actually just pretty much the guy who handled the month of reshoots, but in part of the agreement, he received a full co-director credit. And this guy is Joe Johnston who has also, like, been a big visual effects guy. He did a lot of stuff for, like, the Indiana Jones movies and, like, the original Star Wars movies and stuff. But he has directed himself several movies, such as The Rocketeer. Okay. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh. And Captain America, the First Avenger. Hmm. Everybody's just got, like, an eclectic portfolio. Meanwhile, Tom McCarthy, the guy who did uncredited rewrites to go along with these reshoots, I mean, he's done some random stuff. He worked on the screenplay for Up. He's done nothing that really piqued my interest, but he must have just, like, been in Disney's Rolodex at the time because he also did the screenplay for Christopher Robin. There's a lot of creative directions here. Yeah... Disney be like, we just need someone to write. Call the first person you land on in the Rolodex. Make sure it's a man. Spin the Rolodex, slam your finger down on a random page. Call that guy. <laughs> do you think they actually have a physical Rolodex? I hope so. I'd like to think they do. Wait, our audience skews really young. Do any of you know what a Rolodex is, fans? <laughs> I'm not sure Rolodexes were even like in use when I was a kid much. My dad had one throughout my youth, but he's old. Okay, so a Rolodex is like a spinny thingy. That has a lot of detachable cards in it. And the idea would be that you have a bunch of contact info for people on each card. And then when you need to call somebody, you flip to that part of the Rolodex, you pull the card out, and you punch in the number on your touchtone phone, which you used to have to do. Oh, not a rotary dial? Well, there was a rotary dial at one point, but that's before my time even. Are you sure your father didn't have to pick up the phone and ask for the operator? He did when he was younger, and he still remembers what his old phone number was back then, because it wasn't just a string of seven numbers. It was like a word area code and then four numbers. Is your father a million years old? He was born in 1952. Okay, so he's younger than my mom. Yes. But somehow your father's older. Somehow, like, spiritually speaking, he's older. <laughs> Runs in the family. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Are you telling me that you are not aged by bitterness? I wouldn't say I'm aged by bitterness. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, my parents called me an old soul. I don't know if that was a compliment. Hmm. 
I was always like seven going on 38. So I did take some notes on the gist of the original Nutcracker story. The original story itself, not the ballet adaptation. So this is an adaptation of an adaptation of an adaptation. It's adaptations all the way down. Just so we have a framework to wantonly stray from here. The original gist of the Nutcracker story is a girl named Marie and her brother get prezzies from their godfather, a man named Drosselmeyer. Yes, he always has an eye patch. I don't know why. (laughs) Marie in particular loves this one specific Nutcracker that she requests to be able to take care of. Her siblings break it. She repairs it with a tourniquet. She falls asleep. There is a grandfather clock that chimes. Weird shit happens, including an army of mice fighting an army of toys led by a seven-headed mouse king and the Nutcracker, respectively. Clara throws a shoe at the mouse king. Then the next morning, Drosselmeyer tells her some kind of weird long story about the princess Pearl Pat and Madame Mouse Rinks, a.k.a. Queen of the Mice and the Origin of Nutcrackers that also Drosselmeyer stars in and explains that there's a curse on Nutcrackers that makes them look like that, a.k.a. kind of gross. Later on, Marie helps the Nutcracker cut off the Mouse King's seven heads and he gives her the Mouse King's seven crowns as tribute. Nobody believes her, of course, because she's like a kid. Marie swears, of course, that she would fall in love with a Nutcracker no matter what he looks like and five seconds afterwards, Drosselmeyer's nephew makes the scene and announces that he is the cursed Nutcracker. Marie has broken the curse with his love. He wants to marry her. They go get married and she's crowned queen of the dolls. Then the ballet was like, okay, what about that bit with the mice and the toys and whatever? And then we just sort of ditched that whole plot and jumped straight to let's get married and watch a bunch of toys and candy people perform for the next couple hours. It's ballet. It's ballet. It is peak ballet. Don't worry about it. I only know most of the Nutcracker itself because my fifth grade class put on like a class performance of it. But also there was a videotaped version of that going around when I was a kid that was very popular because it starred Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, I can see that. Very young Macaulay Culkin, like page master Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, he's 40 now. Mm. 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 Not, no, mm, 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 mm. Didn't like that, huh? No. Bad taste in my mouth. No, thank. With all of that for context... Let's go into a movie that doesn't give a shit about context. Oh, also the ballet changed the little girl's name from Marie to Clara. This is going to come up later. Right. So pretty much just know that she is Clara. Let's get into this, shall we? This movie starts with a really, really long, entirely CG sequence of like swooping through streets as the camera follows an owl. This sequence is basically forewarning that this entire movie was shot in a green void. It's very much like, hey kids, remember London's miniature Ice Age anomaly that essentially created most of the modern Christmas imagery we have? Well, there it is. It's a cartoon. (laughs) The camera swoops by a man going, ho, ho, ho. And it's like, there he is. There's Santa Claus. That was him. (laughs) We instead just sort of zoom immediately into this Victorian British house, into an attic where there is a girl named Clara. Clara Stahlbaum. She really likes Rube Goldberg machines and Milton Bradley's mousetrap. Yes, she does. I've noticed this is a thing now when the mouse wants to claim that they have a strong female lead, they will just have the strong female lead be into science. Yeah. This, I've seen this happen three times now. They did it in the live action Beauty and the Beast remake. <laughs> they did it in the Dumbo remake, I think, and they've done it here. Of the three, this one was probably the most well done. That's true. Yeah, it was. We'll give it that. Also, Clara is played by Mackenzie Foy. Who played Renesme? Yeah, this is Renesmee, you guys. Okay, now let's be clear here. We're not talking about Renesmee, the fake baby, or the robot baby. <laughs> no, we're talking about Renesmee, the little five-year-old actress whose face they photoshopped onto, and the robot baby. 
Right, this is the one that got sort of carted around by Kristen Stewart for, like, the whole last Twilight movie, except for the rad fight scene where everybody dies. Yeah, you know, the scene where there's, like, so many (laughs) decapitations? There's, like, 12 decapitations in that scene? And it's a gift. It's a gift to all of us. And then suddenly it rewinds. And then it didn't happen. It was a vision. Bullshit. A very detailed, extremely gory vision. Bullshit. They were like, this is the last movie. We need an action set piece, but nothing happens in this fucking book. I've always felt close to Mackenzie Foy, solely mm-hmm. because her name's also Mackenzie. And it's spelled the same way, too. Oh, yeah, it's the right spelling, isn't it? Spelled exactly the same way. I appreciate that. Yeah, you don't get that a lot, do you? No, I don't. Most of the time, there's a capital K in there somewhere. Or, like, no A in the beginning. Yeah, so I appreciate Mackenzie Foy. Ever since she was in Twilight, I have appreciated her. You go, kid. She's not terrible in this. This gets going places, I feel. Yeah. It's a weird movie that I don't think anyone really comes out of cleanly, except maybe Kira Knightley, but we'll get to that. And Helen Mirren. But, I mean, they can't be touched. Helen Mirren's career is Teflon. <laughs> She's honestly, like, she does a really good job here. Like, she actually puts a lot of earnest heart and soul into this character. And again, like, the inventor angle is at least, like, present and part of the plot, even if she doesn't, like, make Rube Goldberg machines throughout the whole film. Yeah. But we have Clara here now. Hanging out in the attic with her little brother, Fritz. 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 Although we hear his name while a mouse is on screen, so at first I thought that mouse was named Fritz. (laughs) They're going to do a lot of name references to the Nutcracker story. This is one of Marie's brothers, but don't worry about Marie. It's fine. We'll get there. They do this Rube Goldberg machine. She talks about Newton's laws of actions and reactions and everything, and they catch the mouse. They built a better mousetrap. Womp womp. Womp womp. As long as your mousetrap is made of a whole bunch of really cool looking toys. Uh-huh. And then as soon as they catch the mouse, up pops the standard issue Cockney British serving woman. We had to have one, I guess. <laughs> I think she is listed as cook. She is. I'm pretty sure that's what they're all named in every single one of these movies. Almost for sure. She says, come on, get ready for the party. It's Christmas Eve. I'm not in this movie anymore. <laughs> Goodbye. (laughs) And the kids go downstairs where they meet Clara and Fritz's dad. And that's when we learn, of course, which parent is dead. It's the mom. It's the mom. It's contractually obligated. There's one. And this is where we also learn who Clara's dad is. And it's Mr. Darcy with a sadness beard. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, dude, nice dead wife beard. (laughs) (laughs) And I do mean that this is the Mr. Darcy who starred in the very good Pride and Prejudice movie opposite Keira Knightley. Yes. My mom hates that one, and she's a big Pride and Prejudice fan. Oh, I mean, I can understand that. It's definitely a departure, but also, also though. Also though. It's about the longing. The confession in the rain. It longs so much. That baby can hold so much yearning in it. (laughs) There's so much yearning. Also, we meet Clara and Fritz's older sister, Louise. Yes, and her role here is to... Question mark. She's here. She is here. She is kind of filling in in the mother role for the kids. In this era, she probably had a pretty regular hand in actually raising her younger brother and sister. But she's just kind of here to be the responsible one, I guess. It's kind of nice. She's not the responsible one in like the annoying way, too, which a lot of films will play up. She's kind of barely in this. She's not in this movie long enough to become one of the bad ones. She's just kind of existent. She's here. She's like, oh no, your clothes, but the party, but Christmas tree. 
Mr. Darcy is sad and he's trying. <laughs> Look at his dead wife beard. <laughs> Look at his beard. He's sad. This is hypothetically their first Christmas without their mother, but she does have Christmas presents that she left for them. Yeah, and so Mr. Darcy passes those out. Louise gets her mom's favorite dress, and then she puts the dress on, and the dad sees her in it. There's, like, a whole other movie there that doesn't (laughs) happen. Yeah! That combined with the ending would just be a whole other movie. Yeah. Yeah, that movie could go in so many different directions. And I don't know if I'm just predisposed to look for the bad one. I don't know. Fritz gets a nutcracker. Fritz gets a whole bunch of toy soldiers and literally says yay. Yay, yeah. The child says the word yay, soldiers. <laughs> and then immediately goes off and starts playing with the soldiers, like making little explodey noises with his mouth and everything. <laughs> this is a fancy little lad who deserves soldiers. <laughs> and Clara gets a intricate egg. It's like a Fabergé egg, but less in jewel-encrusted and fragile. Yeah. <laughs> It's a thick egg. It's thick. <laughs> it's locked, too. It doesn't open. With a mysterious six-pointed keyhole. Clara can't open it. She finds a letter inside the box that says, To my beautiful Clara, everything you need is inside. Love, mother. And the entire audience at this point is like, "What you the, the real egg is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> we smell that one coming down the turnpike, burning oil and dragging its muffler. Like... <laughs> We wait an hour and a half for that to pay off. (laughs) I can't tell if that's just like kind of a weak bit or if this should get more of an excuse because this is clearly a stepping stone movie to more deeply weird cult movies like Snow White and the Huntsman and Jupiter Ascending. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, Clara gets weirdly defensive over the egg like immediately. Yeah. Yeah. After she finds this letter, Sadness Beard Darcy arrives to misunderstand his daughter. Yeah, and she misunderstands Darcy. And she misunderstands how locks work. Yeah, tumblers are unpickable. Yeah, we're going to call this in this whole movie a pin tumbler lock and says it's impossible to open without a key. And um, isn't every lock a pin tumbler lock? Unless it's a deadbolt. Yeah, I think so. When were pin tumbler locks invented? It was around when this movie would have taken place, and at the time, pin tumbler locks would have been new enough that you could maybe no-prize it and say that lock-picking tools for that aren't plentiful enough yet. So it was probably considered the unbreakable lock at the time. Also, it's worth noting that this movie takes place in the year of our Lord. It doesn't f***ing matter. (laughs) (laughs) This is extremely true. It's vaguely Victorian. That's all we get. (laughs) That's enough, really. Dad's like, we need to go to this party. And Clara's like, I don't want to go to the party. He goes, when we get there, you have to dance with me. And she's like, I don't want to go. And she goes upstairs. And Louise, being the mom's like, but if you go, you can talk to Drosselmeyer. Right, because she looks at it with a magnifying glass and realizes that Drosselmeyer has perhaps made this egg himself. There's this weird moment when she's talking to her dad when he's like, Clara, Christmas comes whether we like it or not. We must do our best to enjoyment. And the way the camera work is and like the way the music is at this point, it seems like they're actually attempting to say that this is a linchpin moment in the screenplay and the themes and, and no, it's not. It's not really, no. I'm not sure this movie has themes. (laughs) 
I'm not sure either. And you're going to get a lot of these in this movie. You're going to get a lot of moments where a character says something dramatic and they say it as though it is meant to be repeated later or something that you're supposed to remember and come back to during the long dark night of the soul. We don't. It's one of those situations where you can see the seams between the different cuts of the movie because reshoots. Yeah, it's a weird one, folks. Louise comes in in her mother's favorite dress and you get those weird vibes. While Louise and Clara are talking, she's like, the real world just doesn't make sense to me anymore. Father is acting as if nothing has changed, but everything has changed. And we're going to kind of come into this making sense and real world thing. And I, I, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of lines here that feel important, but they're just soup. It's just characters saying things because characters say things in movies. Therefore, the characters have to say things here. Speaking of characters who say things... Let's go to Drosselmeyer's. <laughs> Drosselmeyer is, in this movie, near as I can tell, some kind of human embodiment of F.A.O. Schwartz. <laughs> <laughs> He's Mr. F.A.O. Schwartz. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a clockwork coat room. He's got a clockwork everything in one of those ways where if you slap gears on it, it looks not only steampunk, but also inventory. And we're not really going for sciency. We're going for inventory here. Our characters pop into this lovely ballroom and suddenly the music from the ballet The Nutcracker is eidetic and, you know, props to them for using the Nutcracker suite liberally in the actual score, unlike some other adaptations of famous ballets for children's I could name. <laughs> Head full of puddin'. Head full of puddin'. <laughs> what do you think they call this song in this world? Is it still, like, the waltz of the whatever? I don't know any of these. Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy? Is it still the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy? Is it a different thing? Is it just an isolated piece of music? This is my problem. I do this every time. I don't think we can go down this rabbit hole. We'll be there for hours, and we've got not that much time. In modern Sherlock adaptations, do they still have the Sherlock books? If not, what fills that narrative gap in the advancement of literature? I don't know. It's Poirot, and you know it. <laughs> No, it can't be. Nobody talks about Poirot. Nobody. They just talk about Sherlock Holmes. He is the superior detective. Him <laughs> and his little mustaches. <laughs> I can hear you hitting your desk. Good. <laughs> Agatha Christie invented the accusing parlor and we should all respect her for it. <laughs> we have to get back to this dumb fucking Nutcracker movie. <laughs> By the way, Clara's dress is this cute lilac number with a big bustle and pockets, and it's adorable. Yeah, like she takes the egg and she tucks it into a pocket, and I'm like, fuck you, that dress has pockets, I want it. It has huge pockets, it fits that whole egg, and probably her phone and her keys, and like a little fidget. She's an inventor, she probably sewed that pocket into the dress herself. Oh, I want those pockets, I want that dress. <laughs> While they're on the way to the party, Clara's dad is like, Clara, don't sneak off. And she's like, yeah, okay. And then she immediately sneaks off. She immediately sneaks off. She goes down to the basement where I guess the workshop is. Speaking frankly, as someone who usually in any large party full of people I don't know immediately gravitates towards the weird quiet room with the cat, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Mood. Except there's, you know, a flying cat in this one, aka an owl. My parents used to frisk me for books before every major party they took me to. <laughs> <laughs> my mom would just give up and give me a little bag, which I could put my Game Boy and books in. Ooh, good mom tactic. Better for me to be distracted than standing there and staring at her for hours until we finally got to go home. 
I just made small talk and disassociated for hours. Good news. That's what everyone else in the room was doing. So we go in this huge laboratory basement thing with an owl flying around here. There's a whole whale skeleton, a bunch of trophies and clocks and whatever. I want to hang out here. I want to live here. Can this just be my room? Yeah. Can this be my house now? I will stay there until that whale skeleton falls off the ceiling and crushes me to death. (laughs) This is fitting. This is just. And also, Morgan Freeman is here. Morgan Freeman with an eye patch and some really (laughs) wild hair. (laughs) Just some exceptional hair. Morgan Freeman is Drosselmeyer. And like, ordinarily you might think, why is everybody fine with this old black man with a deeply German name who talks like a dude from the southern United States? (laughs) But here's the thing. You hire Morgan Freeman to sound like Morgan Freeman in the same way that you don't hire Sean Connery to sound like a Russian submarine captain. (laughs) Exactly. You hire his gruff Scottish ass to sound like Sean Connery or Draco the Dragon. And they get what they paid for. They paid for 15 minutes of Morgan Freeman to be his Morgan Freemanist, and he does. Yep, he does do that. Yeah, he is as Morgan Freeman as Morgan Freeman can be. For exactly 15 minutes on the clock. (laughs) Which is kind of a shame because, like, look at this weirdo. Look at this eccentric old weirdo with a huge cool eye patch and a room full of skeletons and inventions. I want to hang out with this guy. (laughs) But we paid Morgan Freeman for 15 minutes. So that's what we're getting. Not a second more. He showed up to set for one day. (laughs) He said his lines. He said goodbye. Morgan Freeman is like, this is my owl. He sees everything. And don't worry, it won't actually be important. It won't. Clara's like, look at this egg. And he's like, instead, look at this complex toy carousel that goes backwards. Oh, no. How will I ever fix it? I am at a complete loss. (laughs) And Clara's like, how about you do this? And he's like, oh, wow, you fixed it. I could never have fixed that in a thousand years. It's very clearly a setup. It's adorable. It's so cute. This whole scene is very charming. It's so cute because he clearly knows what's happening. It takes pains to shoot the fact that he is not actually looking at the mechanism at all. He is just like admiring Clara being clever. It's so cute. Can Morgan Freeman be my supportive godfather? Should he also be wearing like the Victorian garb covered with cogs? It's not a requirement, but it would be nice. I'd like to see him have that weird hair. That would be nice. So Clara fixes it. He's like, clever girl. And I, I'm sorry, I tried really hard to not say that like the guy in Jurassic Park, but it didn't work. You said it like the guy in Jurassic Park. <laughs> clever girl. Then a velociraptor comes out of nowhere and eats him. No. <laughs> no, it didn't come out of nowhere. It did the thing that he said earlier in the movie because it's a good movie. We're talking about Jurassic Park some other time, okay? Okay. And he's like, why aren't you dancing at my party? I'm a rich old eccentric. I've earned the right to ditch my own party. What about you? <laughs> and she's like, I got this egg. <laughs> it's got your initial on it. It has a D. You're the only guy with a D. I don't want to think about Morgan Freeman having the D. <laughs> oh, we fucked up. <laughs> we fucked up. We fucked up so bad. <laughs> Morgan Freeman exposits about pin tumbler locks and how he adopted Clara's mom for a bit. She was orphaned. She missed her family. You must miss her. I miss her. Your father misses her terribly. And she's like, no, father cares about appearances. And he's like, some locks are harder to pick than others, which you think would be a metaphor, but not really. Anyway, then he just kind of shoes her upstairs to go back and attend the party. So he can ominously talk to his owl. Yeah, tells the owl to look after her. Because it was her mother's dying wish. 
don't worry, this owl is not significant. This owl is existent and plentiful, but not significant. You keep thinking the owl's going to factor into the plot somehow, and it does not. <laughs> kind of a bait and switch, but with, like, owl pellets. <laughs> There's a little stage upstairs with a ballet dancer, and then Drosselmeyer comes out to announce, It's Christmas Eve! It's presents time! Presents! It's implied that this is some kind of tradition, and, you know, I'm fine with him not explaining the tradition because it doesn't actually matter here. Everybody runs out to the grounds of Drosselmeyer's Manor, where there's a bunch of strings strung up to a gazebo with little, like, labels on it for the children. And they have to follow the string to find the present. That's actually really fucking cool. Yes. <laughs> and when I'm a rich old eccentric, I intend to steal it. It's actually so good. But before Clara can go find her string, Sadness Darcy shows up and he's like, I didn't get to dance with you. She's like, I don't want to dance. And he's like, why must you only think of yourself? What? 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 Huh? What? Huh? What? She's like, I could ask the same of you. And then that's like a big argument. It's like they had a scene-by-scene scene understanding of what a movie is, but the individual scenes were written by, like, one of those procedural text generators that just learned the kind of things people say in movies, but didn't know how they're all supposed to fit together. You know what would make this better? If every single one of these lines was followed by, now give me the diamonds. <laughs> Why must you only think of yourself? Now give me the diamonds! Anyway, Clara runs off to find her present. Dad is very sad now. He has even more sadness beard. <laughs> his beard has grown three sizes that day. Meanwhile, Fritz has already found his present, and it's a nutcracker soldier. He's, like, clacking it at her and saying, It's your boyfriend! Wonk. Womp womp. Let's just do a little wink wonk at the camera for that one. Clara follows her string. It goes into the house through a hallway with owl and mice wallpaper and into a tunnel... And out through a hollow trunk in a strange winter wonderland. She is not wearing the shoes for this. She is not. She's not even wearing a coat. Nope. But she also doesn't really seem to care that much about this development. This doesn't phase her really much at all. She thinks it's cool. Which, you know, honestly. It is cool. I can respect her not like. Not being like a scared baby about yeah. it. Yeah. She's clearly decided this is not the time for stupid questions. She like looks around. She's like, all right. Let's do it. I would like to think that this would be my reaction if I was a kid and just wandered into a fantasy land. Well, guess I'm here now. A done been Narnia. Let's do this isekai. Yep. The string's still leading ahead, so she's like, all right, let's do it. She follows the string through this huge wintry forest and finds a key and a giant tree lit up by, like, fireflies, and it's very pretty. And she's like, clever, godfather, clever, hiding this key in this tree in a completely different world through a portal in your house. Clever. <laughs> <laughs> That's the word for it. <laughs> but as she reaches for the key, it gets snatched up by a mouse. An extraordinarily CGI mouse. A ridiculously fake mouse. And she gives chase. It's the next five minutes of the movie is just her chasing a mouse through the woods. It's very pretty. It's very Christmassy. You can zone out through it. It's fine. Yeah, you don't have to pay attention to it at yeah. all. It's a nice little rest for your brain. Yeah. yeah. So eventually the mouse gets to a, I think it's supposed to read as a river, but it's a stream. It's like a creek at best. So the mouse hops across this frozen creek and Clara's too heavy for it. And then she looks to her right and there's a giant bridge that she has missed. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a watch post next to the bridge that has a partially frozen dude in it. Yeah, yeah. you know, just a pretty boy. 
She looks at him and immediately says, a nutcracker soldier, which I don't know what about the way he looks reads as nutcracker soldier. I would just assume it's a random hussar out of the woods. <laughs> you know, as you get them, sometimes you just get some hussars in the woods. <laughs> it's the woods hussar. <laughs> invasive species you know it's integrated into the ecosystem now she even like touches him on the face and he doesn't respond at all here's the thing about this guy it's like normally you would think okay maybe in order to make him look like a nutcracker you're gonna like have these lines from the sides of his mouth down to his jaw or something so it looks like his mouth might open real big or he's like a toy or something no instead they just gave him like some glittery lip gloss do you think that maybe because this guy is like one of two black characters in the movie that they were supposed to be hitting the note of like the Nutcracker secretly being Drosselmeyer's like nephew or whatever? Honestly, I figured it has a couple more background black characters sprinkled throughout the movie. But like, it seems like if two of your prominent characters introduced in short order are here and they are both black in a predominantly white movie made by white people, usually that means they're related. Maybe that was just an earlier version of the screenplay. Entirely possible. Or maybe it's something that they were going to do in, like, a sequel? I don't know. This movie's not getting a sequel. <laughs> Absolutely not, but it sure seems like they were fishing for it in some places. So she walks up to the bridge past this frozen boy, and then the frozen boy unfreezes, draws a sword on her, and says, State your name! And then there's a bit. We have a bit. They do a little bit where he thinks her name is just me or Clara just me. And honestly, luckily it's dropped quick. Don't worry about it. It is dropped very quick, but he's also very cute. So he gets a pass. Yeah. Yeah. This actor is so goddamn charming. Oh, he really <laughs> is. He's so charming. He's so charming. They actually work fairly well together because they are both just adorable people. I really like this actor, and I really like the idea of having a black kid as, like, the princely romantic lead, because it happens so frequently, especially in Disney movies. Unfortunately, Clara does spend most of the movie ordering him around, which adds a weird tone to the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, but I kind of think he's into it. He is a little into it. He's a little bit into it. It is a look that perhaps they did not think about. But he is very charming. He's very charming. Oh, he's so He's so charming. And later when he's going on about loyalty, like, be still my heart. Very cute. Doki doki, yeah. first crush. <laughs> anyway, when he finds out her name's Clara Stahlbaum, he realizes she's a princess. Yeah, and he's like, oh, princess, jeez, let me help. And she's like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> no, no, your, your mother, Queen Marie Stahlbaum. That's right, Marie. <laughs> yep, they did that. They were like, all right, we've got an extraneous lady name sitting around. Let's do it. I don't know if the implication here is that the original Nutcracker story still played out and this is kind of a sequel to it, or I don't know what the deal is. I'm trying to figure that out. That's kind of what it feels like, isn't it? It is what it feels like a little bit. Yes, because it's all these things about your mother went to this world when she was young and maybe you'll go when you are older. It has all the trappings of like, is this one of those sorts of fairy tale lands where it's an intergenerational thing and these things just sort of keep happening? Like Peter perpetually bringing back Wendy's. I don't know. So the Nutcracker introduces himself as Captain Philip Hoffman at your service, your majesty. And there's this moment where Clara looks away from the camera and mutters to herself like, maybe I have been spending too much time in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate that. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> it's true because again, she's just like, okay, fine, let's do it. And while I'm not totally sure of the Philip, that is probably a reference to E.T.A. Hoffman, the original author of the Nutcracker. That would make sense. I'm still not sure where Stallbomb comes from, but it's definitely going to be a thing. 
And Clara's just like, okay, cool. I'm a princess. You're at my service. Fine. I want to go across that bridge to get my key back. Is that an order? Princess Clara? Please call me Clara. Is that an order too? <laughs> yes. Then call me Captain. <laughs> oh, he's so charming. He carries this so well. He does. He does this really well. And he does a bit of exposition about how across the bridge is the fourth realm, which is at war with the other three realms, blah, 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 land of darkness, blah, blah, blah. No one else can get across the bridge without direct order of the regents, or I guess royalty can do it too. And he does this whole bit where he like turns this gear and pulls these cranks and there's this huge ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk. And then the little, and then the little lift gate just lifts up. It's, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's quite enjoyable, that little bit. Because Clara's just like, oh my god, really? <laughs> and then the captain decides that he's gonna go with her, and he says, I'll take my horse, and then the camera just kind of pans over <laughs> to where there was clearly not a horse before this moment. This is my horse. He's just off screen the whole time when you're not looking. And his name is Jingles. The best thing about Jingles the horse is he has a credit. <laughs> Jingles the horse is played by a horse named Prince, apparently. <laughs> okay, Jingles might be my favorite thing in this entire movie because Jingles just leaves this movie off and on because he's just done. He's not that he's a coward. He's just done with the scene and he leaves and then he just sort of wanders back into the shot when he's ready to come in and be in the movie again. Jingles uses the same technology as the Assassin's Creed games where the horse always spawns where the camera's not looking. <laughs> <laughs> the whole movie is honestly a lot like Jingles. It's easily distracted. It's ready to bolt at the slightest hint of cohesiveness, but it is delightful when it is here. And I love Jingles the horse. <laughs> Jingles the horse is the best. It's a great name for a horse. Jingles the horse looks like Goliath from Ladyhawk, <laughs> that great big black horse with the long flowing mane and tail. Just an astonishingly gorgeous horse. He's definitely a horse that is built more for speed and for appearances. He's not like a big draft horse, which you'd think he almost would be. But no, he is a gorgeous horse and his name is Jingles. This has been our 15 minutes on Jingles the Horse. <laughs> we cross over the bridge into the fourth realm to find the key, and the captain talks about himself. He's the only nutcracker in the whole kingdom, it turns out. I still don't know what it is about his appearance that's supposed to scream nutcracker. No, but he says he's a nutcracker, and he never gets lonely, and he knows his place, and that's good enough for him, and he'll repeat these lines later, but I'm not really sure what they mean. I feel like this was supposed to be a character arc, but it didn't really get there. And Clara's like, I don't know what my place is. That's why I need the key. And then the mouse shows up, the incredibly CGI mouse, which, okay. Okay. <laughs> so the Nutcracker looks at the mouse, takes one look, and immediately clocks him as Mouse Rinks. <laughs> <laughs> the captain has a specific mouse nemesis that he can recognize on sight. <laughs> that he plays this I don't know if it's like actually part of the script or it's just like an acting decision made here but you get the feeling that the Nutcracker has this long bitter rivalry with one specific rodent like they have a past they have a whole series of Tom and Jerry antics <laughs> he hates this one mouse <laughs> this one mouse can go f*** itself <laughs> f*** this one mouse in particular <laughs> It doesn't even have a unique character design compared to any other mouse that we will ever see. He just knows this mouse. He hates this mouse. 
This is the backstory I want to know about. I want to see this Tom and Jerry pretty boy and this tiny mouse fighting as he keeps trying to stab a rodent with his sword. He hates him so much and I love it. Anyway, Jingles got spooked and leaves. Jingles has a spook and he goes away. (laughs) Jingles is like, (laughs) you coward! Do you think part of the reshoots was maybe like perpetually forgetting that Jingles was supposed to be in this shot and they just like did a couple scenes of this horse leaving and people acknowledging the horse leaving? Probably. Just because otherwise the horse kept popping in and out of the movie? Yes. I 100% believe that. (laughs) Anyway, it's time to chase a mouse some more. Oh, God, for another, like, ten minutes, I swear. But also, there's more mice here. There's a just-out mouse. There's a homunky mouse? <laughs> Homousculus? You know that scene in Batman Ninja where a whole bunch of bats form a giant, like, mecha bat? You know Man-Spider, the Spider-Man, who's a bunch of spiders in a Spider-Man costume? It's that. Just a big mouse made of many small mice. Philip comes to save Clara from Voltron Mouse. Honestly, like, this mouse effect is genuinely unsettling. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like the way it moves. It does a very good job of many of the mice bits just sort of sloughing off as it moves, as this, like, giant man-sized mouse moves. Well, no, it's a man-sized pile of mice. It looks very good, but it's also just a little bit here and a little bit later because they realized it was expensive. Yeah, it's also very CGI. Yes. That's the Mouse King, apparently. He doesn't have seven heads. He just has a bunch of little mice. Bullshit. Give me a seven-headed mouse! Please give me a seven-headed mouse. I demand a seven-headed mouse. I want a giant mouse king who argues with himself. They run away. Jingles reappears. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray, Hooray, Jingles! And then they hear the sound of a giant woman, a booming voice that says, Who's intruding in my realm? Clara Starbomb, I have your key. <laughs> it's just a great big Helen Marin Jaeger coming towards them. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really cool robot Jaeger. It's a creepy giant doll circus woman, Jaeger, and it's Helen Mirren. She's like, come get your key, and the Nutcracker's like, no, if you go, you'll never come back. No one does. I don't know who went. (laughs) We never find this out. Anyway, they run, and as they run, he's like, that was Mother Ginger, the bad guy. (laughs) And then five minutes later, they're at the good guy castle? Yeah. It's a very small kingdom, kind of micro-Oz, with the four kingdoms and the castle in the middle. Everything is at maximum a 15-minute walk from everything else. (laughs) And so they ride to the good guy castle, which is this big castle with, like, Russian onion heads. Because, you know, Tchaikovsky. They encounter a couple of soldiers out on the bridge as they try to get in the castle, and the soldiers are determined to do a bit. These two actors are Omid Jalili and Jack Whitehall. Jack Whitehall is a British comedian, and we last saw Omid Jalili in the Mummy movie, where he was playing the guy who got the beetle crawling into his brain. Yeah, he was the awful warden in the Mummy, and then uh, the other guy, actually, one of his most recent large roles was Newt Pulsifer in Good Omens. Huh. Yeah. Neat. Yeah, like I said, there's a lot of star fucking in this movie. But they're here to do a bit. They're here to do a bit. They're here to do a bit about, like, paperwork and immigration or something. Which they basically just rubber stamp. There's a joke about how Jack Whitehall's pen doesn't have any ink in it. And then, like, they're gonna try and rush this paperwork because she's the princess. I don't know. They're gone. They're gonna come back. I'm not sure why they're here. (laughs) You know the two pirates who are clearly married and Pirates of the Caribbean? What if we tried to do that again? 
they rush her through, they lower the bridge. These are both soldiers, and then there's the Nutcracker, who is also, like, a kind of a soldier, but they don't seem to be part of the same soldier... Soldiering. Hierarchy. Group. He seems to be outside, but he's also a captain. But a captain of what? I don't know. It's not very clear how the Nutcracker interacts with this existing, like, army. And it honestly would not matter that much, except that there's parts of this movie where they try to make it make sense, and that just raises more questions. Right. <laughs> like, if this whole thing had been more metaphorical and dreamlike, we wouldn't have any questions about, like, what makes this guy a nutcracker? Why is he the only <laughs> nutcracker? What's the deal with literally all of this? But because they make attempts to explain it at certain parts in the movie, it makes it more frustrating that other things aren't explained. Yeah, there's definitely parts in this movie where I stopped myself and been like, so the pacing seems kind of weird. Things just sort of keep happening. Is this meant to be like dreamlike on purpose or is this movie just edited weird? I still don't really have a good answer for you. Clara and the Nutcracker march into the palace. There's a bunch of courtiers there. They all bow. Clara passes a portrait of a woman whom Clara identifies as her mom. Keep in mind, this is the first image of her mother we have ever seen. Yep. We did not really get a chance to see a picture of her or see a memory of her in the beginning of the movie. So this is the first time we've seen her mom. We just have to take Clara's word for it that this is her mom, which is probably why there's some ADR of her being like, that's my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about it. It's all very pretty, but we're about to go into a big old spectacle scene as we look at the costumes for the regents as we meet them all in the throne room. Up first is Hawthorne, the regent of flowers, who I'm surprised was not Disney's first gay character of 2018. You know how they announce their first gay character every year? (laughs) In 2018, it should have been this guy. (laughs) There was the new gay LeFou. There was the gay orc cop in Onward. Honestly, he seems like he should be the gay character of 2018. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just imagining him with a sash. (laughs) 2018's Disney first gay character. (laughs) They can release a doll line. We also get Shiver, regent of the Land of Snowflakes. He's got those extra finger bait gloves, and it's weird. Yeah, I don't like the gloves. (laughs) Not even a little bit. And then there's the reason we're all here. Sugar Plum, regent of the Land of Sweets. It's Kira Knightley doing a falsetto. I don't know what Kira Knightley is doing in this movie, but she's doing a lot of it. Just so much of it. Kira Knightley decided that she was going to be in this movie and decided to be in this movie as much as she possibly could. There's very little that could make me not attracted to Kira Knightley, and this movie doesn't achieve that, but <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Kira Knightley is doing like the. God, how to describe the thing that she's doing here? She's doing Jane Mansfield. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. That's it. That's toe to tip. That's what she's doing here. <laughs> And she's doing it as hard as possible. Yeah. (laughs) So much. Hello, little Clara. Yeah, it's a lot of that. It is sickly sweet. And she's like, oh, how is Marie, our dear queen? Oh, she's dead. Oopsie doopsie. Oh, what? She is dead? Have you come to save us, Clara? Look at her throne. It's a legacy that you have to fulfill. We'll maybe touch on it as a theme a little, but I don't think so. And Clara's like, save you? Um. <laughs> I'm here for a Christmas present. <laughs> Dude, I just gotta get my key back. There's this bit where the regent of the land of flowers is like, 
Oh, Christmas. I love Christmas. What's Christmas? You just announced that Clara came in through the Christmas tree forest. What do you think the Christmas tree forest is? What do you think that is? Oh, this is going to... No, if I follow this thread, it's going to be like when you have to extrapolate the fact that Orko explained the nativity, explained to him by a couple of children to He-Man's parents. (laughs) Including He-Man's mom, who's from Earth. (laughs) And never said a goddamn thing. (laughs) Just let him do it. Can't go there. Can't go there, though. Can we headcanon that He-Man's mom is Jewish? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which makes He-Man Jewish. Yes. He-Man and She-Ra are Jewish. <laughs> we can't keep pulling this thread. Can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. They're like, oh no, you can't go get the key. Mother Ginger and the Mouse King have it. Never go back to the Land of Amusements, Clara. <laughs> and then there's a whole bit about how they can't call it the Land of Amusements. They have to call it the Fourth Realm. Its title has been rescinded? Don't worry about it. They had the title before they had the screenplay. So you have to say the Fourth Realm a lot. I assume. I assume. Anyway, let's organize a pageant and a tour of the realms to celebrate you being here. It's time for a party. And then Clara's like, I can't. I have to go back home, like, soonish. And then there's, like, a whole expository bit that must have been the result of reshoots. Yeah. Where they explain that time moves slower in the real world than it does in the four realms. Like, there's an entire bit where they go up to the interior of this giant clock and they get on the little ring that rotates on the hour, and then they watch, and they're really little as they observe the party moving at, like, slow-mo speed. It is Drosselmeyer's party. Clara sees her sister and her brother there. She also sees sad Mr. Darcy, and she's like, oh no, he looks sad. And Sugar Plum is like, everything looks different from the realms, which doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this scene is only here because some dipshit in a test screening was like, I don't understand how it's still Christmas when she gets back. You know, given all of the extra shit they threw on the walls for the live action Beauty and the Beast to explain things. Yeah, that would that would sound about right. I like how we have enemies of the show and the enemies of the show are... Richard Rich, that one teenager who's a Viscount and some dipshit in a test screening. (laughs) Because I feel like I've complained about some dipshit in a test screening multiple times at this point. Look, we know he exists. We know he exists. We hate him. Sugar Plum also explains that Mother Ginger was a regent, but now she is banished. She tried to take control of the other realms, but there was some kind of a Fisher King here and her realm fell to ruin. But don't worry, it's just her realm and... Everything else is fine. Don't worry about it. Everything else is fine. This is totally fine. Don't worry about it. Let's check out these pretty dresses. Yeah. Pretty dresses. Clara's like, oh, I don't know much about, like, dresses or hair. Would you help me? And Kira Knightley is overjoyed <laughs> to get to do a makeover. It's very cute. It's like, I don't know about... <gasps> it's my favorite thing! <laughs> And then she starts bustling around Mackenzie Foy, you know, with dresses and hair and everything like that. And I've had this dream. (laughs) I've had this dream where Kira Knightley gives me a makeover. Sits on you to do your makeup, maybe? Maybe a little bit, or at least it's very close to my face to do my eyeliner. (laughs) While she's doing her hair, Claire is like, did my mother ever talk about me? And she's like, yes, all the time. And that's not really the question I would ask. I would ask, how did my mother get here? How long was she the queen? 
How long was this going on? Was she always the queen here? Did she crown herself? Is this a legacy thing? What is this? How is this part of the clock? I mean, to be fair, if you're like a 12-year-old girl, I don't know if I would ask those questions. Hmm. I don't know. 12-year-old girls are very inquisitive. Yeah. Also, again, I feel like if this movie was more dreamlike, these questions would not come up. But because we just had that fucking clock scene, it's like, oh, well, if you're going to explain that, why aren't you explaining all this other stuff? Yes, this is connected to separate entrances to Drosselmeyer's house. If you leapt off the clock, would you be in the real world but small and with the time dilation? You explained little bits of things, but you're refusing to play ball here. Anyway, Kira Knightley finishes with Clara's hair, and then Clara's like, oh, it's beautiful, and then it pulls that back and reveals the <laughs> ugliest updo I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> It's like her hair has been covered in ribbons, and those ribbons haven't strung into several rings. Loops that have been piled around her head. And it's not great, but she's like, I've been totally transformed. And it's like, have you? She's like, you're every inch your mother's daughter. Now put on this pretty dress, and now it's time for a propaganda ballet. (laughs) Yeah. They all go out into, I don't know what this room is. But it's there. At first, I wondered if this was just like the green void and they ran out of money to dress up the green void. But everyone sits in chairs and it starts with like this conductor who's backlit. So he's just a shadow and he raises his hands. And just before he starts conducting, someone in my apartment building screamed, no, really loud. (laughs) And I had to pause the movie because I was laughing so hard. And then when I unpaused the movie, they just kind of did the Nutcracker ballet for the next 10 minutes. (laughs) First off, like the way they do the conductor thing, it looks a lot like Fantasia with like the colored backdrop on the silhouettes and it's very cute. And then like it's weird because it swoops around the stage that they have here, quote unquote. It's just kind of a black void that things appear and disappear into. But they also have stage hands and like they made a point of lighting one of the spotlights with like a torch. You can see the stagehands behind some of the props sometimes, like throwing snow out in front of them. Also, the ballerina here is Misty Copeland. She's kind of a big deal. Oh, yeah. She is the first African-American woman to be promoted to principal dancer in the American Ballet Theater's 75-year history. She's a big fucking deal. She's a big deal. And she's great. Honestly, it would have been weird if she wasn't here. It does this whole ballet that is supposed to be her mother's discovery of the four realms. There's a dance in the land of flowers, a dance in the land of snowflakes, a dance in the land of sweets. Then it's also intercut with maybe it's a montage or maybe Clara's just imagining this of her like getting tours of the various lands in the same dress that she's wearing here. Is this real? Does anyone know if this is real? I don't know this is real. I'm sorry. How much time has passed? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) and then there's an evil elephant circus filled with mice as they go into the fourth realm and sugar plum is so jazzed to watch this that she reaches back behind her head grabs some of her own cotton candy hair and eats it oh god good idea sugar plum i mean it probably grows back yeah it's a very stable wig yes i do like kira knightley's angry cotton candy eating acting it's very good (laughs) She's like, Mother Ginger began the war, and I hope you'll be the one to finish it. And Clara's like, sorry, what, fight, fight what, huh? <laughs> like, she hasn't picked up on the, like, you are now the chosen one, and you are going to lead us to victory in a war thing. <laughs> She's like, what, huh? What? No. 
Beg pardon? Also, earlier, the Nutcracker tried to leave the movie, and she was like, no, nope, 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 do not leave me with this, people. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen the Winter Guy's fingers? I don't, I don't like it. You're staying here with me forever. Please, it's an order, please, don't, oh no. And now we go down to what is later identified as the engine room, where Sugar Plum again exposits and explains that Every one that you see here apparently used to be toys. Where do the toys come from? How do the toys get here? Why are the toy-sized people, why do they have even smaller toys? I don't know. Also, here's my hot take. I don't think this movie needed a giant laser. (laughs) (laughs) I think they could have come up with something more clever to be the plot MacGuffin than it's a giant laser that turns toys into people. Like a magic thing, maybe? Or some other kind of invention? Anything but a giant laser. Well, it's a toy people laser. It's a toy people laser just called the engine. There's a capital letter. You can hear it. Mm -hmm. It's not working. It's not that it's broken. They just can't turn it on because it has a keyhole that is the same as the keyhole in Clara's egg. And they're like, but we need it to make soldiers to defend ourselves from Mother Ginger or something, something. They couldn't have come up with a cleverer key plot use for the key than it powers a giant laser. It powers a giant laser. I don't know what draft the giant laser came in, but I feel like it was a later one. Yeah. I feel like giant lasers don't really enter the story unless they are part of your story at the beginning. Uh, Either they are part of the story from the start or they come in at the last minute. And so Claire is like, Actually, I think the mouse took the key. And from across the room, the nutcracker is like, mouse rinks. (laughs) God, he hates that fucking mouse. He's diabolical. (laughs) Like, he's been just, like, fiddling with something on a table across the room. And then mouse, and he's like, who said mouse rinks? Jingles and the Nutcracker's hatred of this one specific mouse are the best things in this movie. So Clara's like, okay, so I can go to the fourth realm and reclaim the key. And the Nutcracker is like, no, no, we're not. No, this is a bad idea. She's like, I'm doing it. But my mom. (laughs) My mom, though. And then the scene just kind of ends. (laughs) And we cut to her lying in bed. Yeah. And we also intercut with the owl who is here again. I guess. The owl just kind of flies around ominously. Sort of. No, it can't be ominous because then you'd feel like he'd have to be a portent for something. He's just here. He's the emotional support owl. (laughs) Vaguely. Clara can't sleep and she flashes back to what we must presume to be the last Christmas with her mom. And this is the first time that we actually see Marie here. Aside from that one portrait. And honestly, this whole scene feels like it's something that should have come, like, at the beginning of the movie. I don't know. Anyway, there's a Nutcracker Christmas ornament. And it's her favorite. It's Marie's favorite. Yeah, I bet it is. (laughs) Once I realized that the unwritten prologue of this movie was basically the original Nutcracker short story, I was like, so are we going to get a reveal that, like, Mr. Stahlbaum, the sad Darcy with with the dead wife beard... Was the original Nutcracker? Like, I don't know (laughs) where this is going. 
and it it went nowhere. It doesn't. It doesn't go anywhere. Like the weird thing is that the mom isn't even wry in referencing what must have happened in the original Nutcracker story. She's like, "Oh, the Nutcracker here reminds me of a land I discovered when I was a little girl, full of sweets and flowers and the funniest people. And maybe you'll go there too one day." And it's like. You're not trying to, like, hide this or anything. You're just straight up saying, remember when I went to a fairy tale land? Yeah. Clara just kind of takes this in a stride, which makes me fairly convinced that her mom died of a brain tumor. <laughs> <laughs> Clara's like, I don't know, like, take me there or something. And Marie just looks at her and it's like, there's some journeys you have to go on alone. <laughs> what? What? Huh? Is this supposed to tie into something? Is this anchoring something? It's a loose strand. And then she continues like, Clara, I know sometimes you wish you were more like your sister. I don't recall this happening in the movie. But I love you because you're so different. Unlike your piece of shit sister who I hate. (laughs) (laughs) And that's actually a recurring theme too. Because later it's like, you are your mother's best gift. And you could interpret that charitably and be like, okay, well, she meant all of her children. But he refers to... We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. I just think about that. Me too. In the meantime, she's like wearing this like you laugh at me because I'm different. I laugh at you because you're all the same. Clara clearly got voted most unique in her high school yearbook. (laughs) And nobody was sure whether it was a compliment. (laughs) And her mom's like, when you realize that your difference is your greatest strength, you can change the world, my girl. And it's like, is that Clara's problem? (laughs) What's Clara's problem? What's the internal arc that Clara has to solve in order to solve the external problem? I don't understand. She watches Clara put the nutcracker ornament on the tree and blinks back tears. Does she know she's dying? What is this? (laughs) What is this scene? (laughs) What is she doing? Why is she sad? What does that mean? Can only one person go to the nutcracker world? What's happening? Is sadness dad a nutcracker? Is Clara half nutcracker? (laughs) (laughs) Headcanon, yes. (laughs) Clara's half nutcracker. She must be the one to unite the realms because she is half nutcracker. (laughs) Clara's strong. She can crush nuts. We're not getting into that. (laughs) That is some low-hanging fruit that even I won't take a swing at. It's fine. Captain Phillips into it. We're not going there. (laughs) So Clara gets up because the owl's tapping at her window because her little flashback memory is done. She gets up to the ramparts. She's like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful, Mom. This whole green void is gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you could see it with me. I want to say we're all idiots because I finally looked up Stahlbaum and apparently that's just Marie's last name in the original Nutcracker book. Fuck. (laughs) Oh, well. We're all stupid. We're all stupid. Yeah, well. (laughs) I will do some research. I won't do all of it. I got really distracted by this weird digression in the middle of this plot summary about the friggin' Princess Pier Platt and the Queen of the Mice. It's weird and dumb. Egg on our face aside, Clara is like, oh, mom, I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing. I'm not sure if that's Clara's problem, but the owl is done being in this scene, so the scene's (laughs) over. Listen, stage animals are expensive. animal this is clearly not a real owl there's shots where it's a real owl and then there's shots where it's not are you sure there's shots where i'm reasonably certain it's a real owl <laughs> like the first shot wherever morgan freeman's like follow her and see everything i'm pretty sure it was a real owl that was told to fly off its perch can drosselmeyer see through the owl's eyes what's happening 
I don't know. <laughs> is that a thing? Is this owl just here? Is the owl intelligent? Drosselmeyer talked to the owl. I don't know what the owl's deal is. <laughs> Do you think the owl was a reshoot? <laughs> Probably. Does anyone ever directly interact with the owl besides that one scene where Morgan Freeman talks to it? I don't think so. The owl is just sort of present, but... It doesn't interact with the plot at all. No one ever, like, acknowledges the owl. The owl might be a reshoot. It is now time to march off into the fourth realm. Clara's gotten a costume change, and it's an adorable little soldier outfit. I really dig this outfit. It's great. It's like a jacket with epaulets, and, like, it's like a band jacket. It looks so cute, too. And then she's got, like, a cute sort of a shin-length skirt underneath that has a petticoat. So it flounces out and she's got a hat to go with it. It's all very good. It's so cute. It's very cute. You know, when people talk about how like, uh, boob armor. Yes, real armor. Galaxy brain. Fake armor with a whole bunch of frills on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this aesthetic is here. It's got this big old wool skirt. It's probably very warm and cozy. It's a very good outfit. It's very cute. I love her little hat. It's a very good hat. It's also like rich green on top and this deep red on bottom. So it's like Christmas colors. It's very charming. Sugar Plum announces that she is sending Clara and the Nutcracker out with her tippy top top notch handpicked soldiers. And also Jingles is back. Jingles is here. Jingles! Jingles brought a friend. (laughs) Jingles brought an unnamed friend. Maybe the other friend is also Jingles. It's not clear. They're like identical gorgeous black horses. Oma Jalili and Jack Whitehall are also here. They're here to do another bit. They declare they want to go along, and they are trained killers. They're here to do a bit. The bit's not good, but they're here anyway. And then Clara just sort of ignores their bit and orders a march. And they march the 15 minutes to the fourth realm. (laughs) They only ever seem to go across this one bridge that goes directly into the fourth realm, but I have to assume that there's, like, bridges on all sides that go to the other realms or something. That feels right, right? Did they declare war on a landlocked (laughs) realm? Is this the only way to get in and out of the castle? It's the only entrance and exit we see, I think. So the soldiers march into the forest, they march into the fourth realm, and then five minutes later they stop because they have come to the entrance of a creepy carnival. And of course there's horrible calliope music in the distance. Oh, I don't like it. Mm Mm-mm. And all the soldiers are spooked? Clara's like, why are you spooked? It's just a horrible carnival. Onward, red shirts. gone so whole hog creepy abandoned old coney island aesthetic in here like batman and the joker are fought here at least 16 times the riddler is fought here seven and clara's like some of you may die but that's a risk i'm willing to take in we go (laughs) five seconds in the soldiers start getting drugged into the earth (laughs) there's even a wilhelm scream as one of them goes under there is it's basically a scene from tremors for the next little bit Then they get up onto a carousel, and then the mice start flooding under the carousel and are, like, pushing it up. Don't like that. Don't care for it. Don't care for this. The land of amusements. All of the soldiers get ganked and pulled under the ground by mice. So they're gone. Don't worry about it. They've just left the movie. (laughs) They've left the movie. There's a break room down there. Clara also gets dragged underground. The Nutcracker goes after her. And then Clara gets drugged up above ground in a different place where the giant Helen Mirren Jaeger is here. Yeah, and the Helen Mirren Jaeger picks her up and then, like, throws her under the Jaeger's skirt, which is a weird visual. (laughs) I feel like that should have gone through a few more people before it went into the movie. 
Nope. Instead, what's under Helen Mirren's skirts? Why, it's clowns. I don't <laughs> care for this at all. <laughs> this was the most uncomfortable scene. Oh, my God. I was I'm genuinely just... terrified throughout all of this. Same. Yeah. I shrieked. They're Russian nesting doll clowns. They open up and there's more clowns inside. I, I didn't precisely shriek, but it was not an enjoyable experience. <laughs> Body horror harlequins. How delightful. Why, yes, they do break open their hollow bodies to crawl towards you on all fours. Yes, they do store smaller clowns inside of their bulbous, distended flesh. Yes, they do have heads that stay in place while the rest of their bodies spin around so they never have to break eye contact with you. Thank you for asking. (laughs) They speak in high-pitched voices that taunt you constantly. (laughs) I don't like it. Don't like it. Don't like it at all. They're awful. This is amusants? Netflix says this movie is rated PG for some peril, and I believe that means this scene in particular. (laughs) They taunt Clara while never making eye contact, perhaps never blinking. And then they just sort of like toss her into a spinny chair and she spins up a central pillar and they all just sort of stare and watch her go. I don't like it. Mm. Don't like that. And then once she gets up to the top, there's one playing a calliope. It gets up and just leaves. It disappears behind a thin gauze curtain and it's gone. The clouds are like spiders. The only thing that's worse than seeing one is having seen one and then it's gone. <laughs> Honestly, the clown in the calliope in particular moves a lot like an NPC in a Bioshock game where you just sort of see it and then it's gone. And then you're going to listen to a creepy tape and then you turn around and it's right behind you. It's fine. It's fine. It's all fine. Helen Mirren's here. Oh, thank God Helen Mirren's here. (laughs) Yeah, Clara makes a grab for the key and Helen Mirren gets there first. Don't worry about it. Let's just talk about Helen Mirren's outfit here. Helen Mirren's outfit here is very good. Oh my God. First off, she has this like huge red wig that's like all disheveled and like her face has these big cracks in it, like a porcelain doll that's been like repaired. And she's wearing pants. I feel like this is important to point out. She's wearing like a doublet and then like tight pants. And I'm very gay. (laughs) It's so good. I'm very gay. I literally gasped when she walked on screen. Oh, Helen fucking Mirren. Oh, it's so good. Like she's like the Batman Beyond version of Duella Dent in this scene. And it's very good. (laughs) Oh, shit. That's a very good way to describe it. This is some tonal whiplash. We've just had the most horrifying experience in the film. And Helen Mirren's here. It's fine now. It's It's fine fine. now. Because Helen Mirren's here. We trust Helen Mirren. (laughs) We trust Helen Mirren. We all trust Helen Mirren. We can forget about the clown we can't see anymore. Helen Mirren, though. Helen Mirren's very good. (sighs) Hey, guys, remember Red, where she got to play a sniper that killed a whole bunch of people? (sighs) Oh, I do. Remember that scene in the second Red movie where she's hanging out with Young Hun Lee and then they do like a really cool driving scene where he drives and spins the car and then she pulls two guns and fires out both driver and passenger side windows? I never saw Red 2, but now I need to. It's very good. I mean, you know, it's not as... It's very good for if you're into Helen Mirren. Let's put it this way. Is anyone not into Helen Mirren? I've heard that there are people who are not into Helen Mirren, but I'm not sure I believe it. That sounds fake. Sounds fake. Mother Ginger kind of threatens Clara a little bit, and then she's like, no, but Marie is dead, though. My mother is Marie, and she is dead, and it clearly breaks Helen Mirren's heart. No. She's like, what? But she's dead. 
Yeah, and there's very clearly something up during this scene. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is a heel turn moment. Like, this is where it all comes into focus that something is clearly amiss in the version of events that Claire has been given. But it's honestly carried kind of subtly just through the strength of Helen Mirren being Helen Mirren. Yes. This lives entirely in the acting, and if Helen Mirren weren't playing this role, it would not have worked. Meanwhile, the Nutcracker breaks in, and you know how all the clowns just sort of, how the noise just kind of stopped as they watched her go up the tower? And they just looked up at her. Well, as soon as the Nutcracker breaks in, they're in the exact same spot and all of their heads snap as one to him. Jesus, I hate it. God! Terrible, 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 terrible. And now he has to fight them. Terrible. Uh, don't like it. Claire grabs the key because the Nutcracker is coming to fight these clowns and he's bad at it because he's kind of stupid. It's fine. It's fine. He's, He's very, very charming. charming. That's all that really matters in the end. I think he fits the quadrant of a decent man. He does. He's not particularly beefy, but he is kind and kind of dumb. He's kind and dumb, and he's very charming. Yes. And he's like, oh no, Clara, I'm getting beat up by clowns. Clara! <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like a Clara, where are you? It's very much a Clara, help! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how, but help! <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> I came in here to rescue you. I did not bank on clowns. I don't enjoy this at all. <laughs> I was not prepared for clowns and now I want to leave. Please, let's go. <laughs> so Clara yoinks the key while Mother Ginger is distracted and leaves with the Nutcracker while Ginger begs her not to go over the loudspeaker, over the giant Helen Mirren Jaeger. Yeah, and again, if this weren't Helen Mirren, this wouldn't work. It's true. <laughs> but she is, and it does. And then we go into Mother Ginger, who's like, mouse rinks. Everything depends on her. Go to the palace. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. In the middle of their escape, they decide to stop at an absolutely lovely vista to open the egg. It's overlooking the castle. It's very nice. It's clearly a scene here. This has been set up. Well, this was one of the mood pieces that the concept artists came up with. And they were mm -hmm. like, we want to do this exact shot. So they found a place to do that. And Clara opens the egg, and everything she needs is inside, and it's a music box. It's a music box. It's a really nice music box, actually. I want this music box. It's very compact. It's got one of those disc turners. It's very good. Clara gets pissed. Yeah, she's like, there's nothing here in the Nutcracker. This idiot that he is is like, there's music. <laughs> <laughs> He's stupid, you guys. He's got a very good point, though. There is music inside. Yeah, this is a very nice music box. Don't knock the music box just because it didn't hold, like, I don't know, the secrets of the fucking universe or a tiny clone <laughs> of your mom or something. <laughs> so to go along with our headcanon of Sad Darcy Dad. Okay. At the end, whenever they open up the music box, he says, this is the song that me and your mother first danced to. Right. He does do that. Maybe the captain, the charming captain, recognizes this because there's some sort of nutcracker mind meld. Like a nutcracker, like, memory? Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's music. And he finds it familiar. Headcanon. I like that, but that also implies that Clara would date her dad, and I don't like that. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Don't care for it. Don't care for it. Movie does enough of that. <laughs> Clara's like, no, I wanted answers to questions she probably asked in some other version of the script. Yeah, but now I'm just as lost as I was when I arrived. Were you lost at the beginning? 
haven't really seemed lost. You seem fairly okay to go along with everything. This is a scene that belongs to a different, like, internal arc in another version of this movie. Yep. It's clearly important to that version of the movie, but here it's weird, but it's very pretty to look at. It is. It's got a very nice vista. And she's in that cute little soldier dress, and the big bun that her hair is in has, like, slightly fallen down. It's... She's adorable. And then Clara, like, gives the key to Philip and says, I'm doing a leave, I'm going home. And Philip convinces her to stay for reasons. He calls back to the stuff that he was talking about in the woods of, like, never leaving his post and knowing his place. And he's like, but you changed me somehow because you have your mother's same look of confidence and determination. You're not lost. Your place is here. With him. Mm -hmm. With him. They should kiss. They should kiss. They should kiss. But they can't kiss because this is oriented towards a very young group. They were obviously going for a G rating, but they got PG. But I can tell they were going for a G rating because there were no extramarital kisses in this movie. They should have kissed, though. They should have kissed, though. They should have kissed, though. But no. Instead, the owl screeches again. And more importantly, Jingles is here again. Yay! Jingles is back. Jingles is back. Jingles did a leave earlier <laughs> at the creepy castle. But now Jingles is back again. He sensed that the scene was over and he's here to escort us to the next one. I love Jingles. That's such a good horse name. It's a very good <laughs> horse name. We ride back to the castle, we give the key to Sugarplum, and she's, like, ecstatic. She's going to get progressively hornier over the course of this scene. Yeah, Sugarplum's <laughs> attitude for the rest of the movie is basically that ContraPoints bit from that one video where she's like, God, I love the troops. <laughs> That's her whole bit. <laughs> she is extremely horny for the rest of this movie. I'm not saying I dislike where this character goes. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot, though. It's a lot. Sugar Plum reveals that she is going to start using tin soldiers to beef up their army. And the Nutcracker's like, but you don't know how tin soldiers will react. They're completely hollow. Like, that's supposed to be a thing. Like, maybe if you make regular soldiers out of wood, that's... That's better somehow? Like, made of a living thing? Or something about, like, the Industrial Revolution is bad? Or... Maybe there was a theme here at some point. <laughs> we don't know. Here's the thing about this movie. It is so excited about all its different ideas, it gets really easily distracted and moves on to the next one as soon as it can. It doesn't really explore any of these ideas, but it's very excited about them. Just as Sugar Plum is extremely excited about these giant soldiers. They take a bunch of little tin soldiers, like little tin toy soldiers, which, why do the toy-sized people have even smaller toys? Dump them on, just, they, they don't even, like, arrange them or anything. They just dump a pile of tin soldiers underneath this laser, and then turn the laser on, and they get big. And they're huge robots. They will only listen to Sugar Plum because she made them. I'm not sure that she did, but I guess she was standing at the key at the time. It's unclear. And she's like, it's magnificent. They're huge. Hello, boys. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's so lot. much Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley is so much. Kira Knightley is very horny for these tin soldiers. <laughs> and Claire is like, wait, but you're attacking with all these soldiers? And Sugar Plum's like, well, attack is the best defense. And frankly, as someone who's played a lot of RPGs, yes. <laughs> 
the only way that she could be more relatable would be if she said, well, I have this really good healing item, but I don't want to use it. What if I need it later? And Clara's like, no, you shouldn't attack people. And Sugar Plum's like, you're not my real dad. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, she gets really mean really fast. Now that her diabolical plan has been unveiled, she's just horny and mean for the rest of this movie. Yeah, which, you know. Kit, how are you holding up? Oh, God, I think I'm even more attracted to her now. <laughs> I had a complicated time in high school. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been, what, right around the height of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies? Yes, and I also, mm -hmm. you know, m may have, may have, may have, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. done some misdemeanors for the sake of impressing girls. <laughs> oh, Kiddington. <laughs> dumb teen. You, dunce, you dumb sapphic teen. <laughs> really hot <laughs> did it work no <laughs> sugar plum goes on this whole villain monologue about how like your mother abandoned us she wanted us to play nice i don't want to play nice i framed mother ginger it's not clear how she framed mother ginger it's really not there's like another line that maybe alludes to how that worked but this movie is like i have another idea put the regular soldier on the thing Honestly, the ballet didn't explain what Mother Ginger did, and Sugar Plum does not explain what Mother Ginger did. What exactly Mother Ginger did is very vague, which I guess is on purpose because it turns out she didn't do anything at all. But <laughs> Yeah, Mother Ginger later says something like, I defeated you once before, and she's like, you delayed the inevitable. I don't know what that's supposed to be referring to. Sugar Plum also reveals that the laser can do two things. It can turn toys into people, and it can turn people back into toys. And Kira Knightley looks directly at the camera and says, it works both ways. Oh, God. Same, Sugar Plum. <laughs> <laughs> now that Kira Knightley is horny and mean for the rest of this movie, Claire and the Nutcracker have been locked away in a tower along with the Regents. And Clara snaps at the Nutcracker for not letting her go home because she fucked it up. She fucked it up real bad. There's some sad sacking for a little bit, but it gets over with remarkably quickly, and Clara eventually looks inside her music box again and realizes there's a mirror, so all she ever needed all along was herself. What? This is the reveal from Kung Fu Panda! <laughs> they just took that reveal directly from the first Kung Fu Panda movie. It was her all along? What? I don't know what was her all along, but whatever it, it was, it was her all along. All she needed was her. The secret was her. Everything you need is inside your heart all along. All along. And the friends you made along the way, I guess. <laughs> or something. Or something. Meanwhile, while she's having this epiphany, we do this quick cut back to the Sugar Plum Fairy, who's like, boys in uniform send a quiver right through me. Jesus. <laughs> like, God damn it, are you doing this on purpose or not? <laughs> You can't do this to me. Clara's like, so I've heard about Gwen Stacy. <laughs> R.I.P. to Gwen Stacy, but I'm different. <laughs> if I were Gwen Stacy, I simply would not have had my neck snapped. Clara and the Nutcracker and the Regents, they make an escape using a rope. At some point, Clara's like, Nutcracker, please help me instead of ordering him, which... Could have been played up for more of an arc, but I guess this is growth. We'll take what we can get at this point. We'll take what we can get. So they escape from the room. Clara Nutcracker 
need to get to the engine room. The regents are just gone. They don't, don't worry about it. They, they've just left the movie. Their costumes were not made for movement. How are we going to get to the engine room? There's so many soldiers. And Mouse Rink show up and the Nutcracker is immediately out for blood. <laughs> mouse Rink shows up and the Nutcracker is about to throw hands with a mouse. <laughs> Claire's like, oh my god, dude, chill for five seconds. Mouse Rinks leads them to a sewer grate because it's a D&D campaign now. Yep. They jump in the sewer and the Nutcracker is like, are we sure you can trust him? And the mouse squeaks and he's like, don't fucking start with me. <laughs> <laughs> Throw hands with the mouse. Throw hands with the mouse. I don't necessarily need to see the origin of their grudge, but I do need to see this man perpetually foiled by a small rodent. <laughs> I need to see this man try to stab a mouse and then shout, I hate those Mises to pieces. <laughs> We go through the sewer to the waterfall off the side of the castle, which has a whole bunch of, like, mill wheels powering it. Clara's like, oh, we can get up through that, but Nutcracker, you have to go warn Mother Ginger. And the Nutcracker is torn about it. He's very broken up about having to abandon Clara and also trust this mouse. <laughs> mostly Clara. But mostly Clara. <laughs> we think. Maybe. Probably. He's got a lot going on right now. He's at an emotional crossroads. <laughs> And she's like, be careful. That's an order, Captain. And there's this really long, awkward pause. And then she turns away and immediately trips off the cliff. <laughs> I mean, it's stupid that she immediately falls over. But the subsequent scene where, like, he grabs her and helps her, like, <sighs> helps her down. And there's this, like, the lingering eye contact and the holding of the hand. It's about the yearning. It's, there's a lot of yearning here, especially because he lowers her down and he's like, please, Clara. Call me Philip. This guy's got four credits on IMDb, and he should have more. <laughs> he should have, He's like, very good. 20 more. Can you please just do a bicep curl and lift her up and kiss her before you leave? But he doesn't. <laughs> we know doesn't. you can't. She is very young, and this movie is designed for young kids. This she is... was 18 when this movie came out. Oh, she was 18? Okay, well, we still long for it, sir. There's so much yearning. This is a gateway drug movie. Yeah, this movie is a gateway drug to more yearning. <laughs> mm -hmm. This movie is a gateway drug to Channing Tatum holding a gun <laughs> on Titus, whatever the, his last name was, and saying, may I kill him? <laughs> this movie is a gateway drug so you can have horny yearning with, I love dogs, I've always loved dogs. This is pure yearning, and then you can go to the horny yearning of uh, Channing Tatum saying, your majesty. <laughs> God, I need to watch Jupiter Ascending this weekend. <laughs> Is a palate cleanser, do you think? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Clara climbs down. The Nutcracker turns to Mouse Rinks, and he's like, all right, lead the way. And the mouse squeaks at him. And he has this moment where he looks so fucking done before he's like, I don't speak rodent. <laughs> <laughs> and the mouse just points. This boy is so good, you guys. He's very—he's a very good boy. This is a good boy. I want to see him in so many more movies. That's a boy that I could get into. <laughs> That's a good boy. That's a good boy. Clara climbs up the water tower. Meanwhile, we cut to the Nutcracker. And there's more horrible clowns. I don't care for it. He's got to go talk to the clowns. <laughs> they disappear behind places where they shouldn't disappear behind. <laughs> They're just skirting through the woods, giggling. Don't like it. I don't like them. I don't like the jump scare clowns. Mm -mm. 
They block the way to the big circus tent. You hear Mother Ginger being like, let them through, and their heads snap with a jingle to the nutcrackers. They part the way. Don't like that jingle. Don't like the jingle. I don't like the jingle. But now we get the Nutcracker talking to Helen Mirren in kind of a the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of situation. It's good. It's good. It's good. These two play off each other pretty well. Honestly, they should have been in more scenes together. She's clearly like the old mentor figure who knows honor and duty. And he's like, yes, I am here for this. Teach me your ways. It's about the devotion. (laughs) No matter the cost, he is ready to protect the realm. So in order to create a distraction and draw Sugar Plum's attention to them, they basically just send the Mother Ginger Jaeger on a walk. And then they send the clowns ahead as an advance guard because if we hate those things, <laughs> Sugar Plum's really going to hate those things. <laughs> the clowns, they guard the bridge. They take out a bunch of the soldiers marching out there. And then as Sugar Plum watches this, she remembers that she can fly because we saw her fly once. She got very excited about a pageant, lifted up into the air, and sat back down because that's not where the budget for the movie was going at the time. No. They had to pay Misty Copeland. But now she can fly again. While this whole fight is happening on the bridge, Clara sneaks into the engine room, distracts the tin soldiers with a clockwork mouse, or a couple of clockwork mice. I don't know why that worked, but it did. Closes the water sluices and then gets attacked by the tin soldiers and then kicks one of them in the dick. Doesn't do much. No, but she does do it. Yeah, which I think she should get points for that. I agree. And then who arrives but a horrible clown, but it's okay. But it's okay because the clown pops open and, oh look, it's Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren's here and she has a whip. She has a whip made out of Chinese finger traps, I think. It's very good. Also, she gets to do kind of an action scene, which she doesn't get to do much of. It's basically red in this. Yeah, she gets to do action stuff. She gets to fight sin soldiers with a whip. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, the fight choreography isn't very good, but I'll take what I can get. Exactly. It's Helen Mirren is the thing. Mm -hmm. Helen Mirren's on screen and she's doing a fight. Yeah, it's very good. And then Clara's climbing around in the guts of the laser, I guess. Yeah. We cut back real quick to the Nutcracker and the Mouse King because Mouse Rings is now in that weird monkey mouse thing again. Yeah, it and the Nutcracker are like doing a back-to-back badasses thing. Which is weird because it's back to back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back and repeat that about 3,000 times. Yeah, No matter the cost, we will protect the realm. They're ready to die? They're ready to die. They were piloting the Mother Ginger Jaeger, by the way. They were. So when the Mother Ginger Jaeger got taken down by the Tin Soldiers, Nutcracker comes crawling out and then the homunky mouse appears right nutcracker and mouse rinks are drift compatible as it turns out yes and they are now brothers in arms (laughs) and it's very good i really enjoy it (laughs) there's just so many parts of this movie that are weird and charming i feel like there was an earlier version of this movie that was like much more our shit yeah and then the reshoots and the recuts happened that's my theory it definitely feels like there was a version of this movie that was so much stupider yeah like good stupid but we have this one and there's all these little bits of the movie that we probably could have had but you know it's fine the nutcracker and the mouse are fighting back to back because they're brothers in arms now and they'll fight these tin soldiers to the death to protect clara keep in mind this is a pg rated movie so there's not actually much hitting of the swords that's happening it's mostly just the soldiers advancing on the nutcracker in a menacing way they're also tin soldiers so it's kind of robot cartoon rules you can you don't have to worry about it there's no blood and as clara's climbing around in the guts of the engine the whole vibe of like the battle scene is definitely like 
that bit of the return of the king where Frodo's about to drop the ring in the volcano and then decides to keep it and we keep cutting back to how badly the fight at the gates of Mordor is going. <laughs> That's the vibe. It definitely feels like hopeless. Ginger gets caught. That's where she's like, I stopped you once before, remember? To Sugar Plum and don't worry about it. We're not going to get that. Yeah, we're not going to explain that at all. Sugar Plum is like, where's the princess? Ginger lies and said that she's already done a leave. And then she's like, that means I'm the queen of the castle. Oh, God. You're the dirty rascal. That delivery was a choice. Yep. (laughs) She's horny for this, too. She's just horny. She's just horny for the rest of the movie. Just indiscriminately (laughs) horny. (laughs) To the point where, like, it goes in and out of being comfortable. But it never stops being horny. Never stops being horny. Because she's like, oh, banishing you to the fourth realm made me feel just delicious. Oh, Jesus. But this is going to be exquisite. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's so much, Kira Knightley. <laughs> you made some choices here, Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley, you did this. Why did you do this? Why are you still doing this? Why have you done this for so much in the movie? Do you think the director was, like, in on this? Was like, hey, we want you to be really horny for this part? Or do you think the director was kind of like, well, she's Kira Knightley and I've been brought in for reshoots, so I'm not sure I care. I feel like this is a choice Kira Knightley made. Because I feel like if you're going to make this choice this consistently after going, like, Jane Mansfield in the beginning and then being, like, extremely horny Jane Mansfield, like, yeah, this is a choice that I think she made. And everybody else just had to roll with it. Kira Knightley's performance now is drag queen Jane Mansfield in that play we went to go see at the Fringe <laughs> about summoning Satan at Christmas. Yes. Yeah. I don't think that's really a broadly applicable cut, but that is exactly the energy. Yeah, nobody else knows what we're talking about, but that's fine because I do. <laughs> there were like 20 people in that theater. Four of them were on stage. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what is happening here (laughs) she's going to try and turn mother ginger back into a toy i guess clara has been captured and in another version of the script she delivers a very compelling speech about the lesson she learned about grief but in this version she's just like my mother loved you you had a special place in her heart how do you know that i don't know you literally just learned about this today like yesterday i guess time's weird and she's like But she left you alone too, Clara. And she's like, no, she left me everything I need. And there must have been a version of the script where she was, like, grieving and angry about her mother, like, quote-unquote abandoning her and something. Yeah, but, you know, female Disney characters can't feel anger, so. Especially not about their mother figures. Their mother's dying, they don't feel things. Yeah. And then there's this also this thing where, like, Sugar Plum turns on the gun. Sugar Plum's like, a true queen does what's best for herself. And Clara says, no, a true queen does what's best for her people. And this must be something else in another version of the movie. <laughs> there's, like, five different versions of the movie in this scene. And all of their, like, important lines stayed in the final version. There were so many callbacks to things that don't happen. There must be something about Clara feeling like she's not a good queen or she's not a good ruler or, or, or something. I don't know. I want to see these other movies, though. <laughs> I feel like those other movies are much more our garbage. Probably. <laughs> like, you know, the version of Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters we made up. Oh, you mean the one that's just the fancy little boy in the woods? <laughs> anyway, remember that bit at the beginning of the movie where Clara reversed the polarity of that music box thingy? 
That was Chekhov's reversal polarity. You know, I did not make that callback connection, but I guess that's technically what they're trying for here. So instead of the gun shooting Mother Ginger, the gun slowly rolls up and then charges the laser and then fires the beam at Sugar Plum while she's like, Clara, what have you done? I would have had so much time to just get out of the way of this laser blast, but no! <laughs> Listen, that's a very big dress. She cannot move fast. She has wings! <laughs> she has a flying speed of 30 feet per six seconds. No, she just gets turned into a little porcelain doll, like a very tiny Kira Knightley porcelain doll. And then all the tin soldiers fall down. I don't understand why, but that's fine, I guess. The movie, movie's got to end. My no prize is that the tin soldiers only listen to her. And when she dies, they stop because they're psychically linked to her at all times. I don't know. This is getting away from me. <laughs> I don't think you get the no prize. I don't think I do. <laughs> Whatever, it's fine. Anyway. It's not like I haven't pulled this exact bullshit because otherwise you've just spent like the next several <laughs> hours fighting the army that the character raised. <laughs> they gotta blow up now. The story's gotta end. Fine. If you kill the lady, the army dies. If you kill the big guy, the castle explodes. It's fine. It's fine. Sometimes the story's just gotta end. Sometimes the story's over because the narrative thing happened. Yeah, the story's over. We don't want to spend the next couple of hours mopping up soldiers. So we're just going to have this happen, I guess. So the Emperor's dead, and then everybody celebrates on Coruscant. All the soldiers are dead. The plot's over. That was the climax. Now we're on the denouement. And Clara gets a big, pretty gown with a big train and a crown, and it glows, and, it's and I want it. There's stuff that's, like, woven into her hair in a good way this time. Yes, and she's got, like, a little... It's like it's like a diadem and there's like all of her hair is like tossed over her shoulder and it's just it's a pretty dress. Yep, she gets a nice coronation gown for five whole seconds. Yeah, God, she gets to wear it for half a conversation. I hate it. So this dress has a lot of work put into it, considering how little it's in the movie. And I'm, there's a lot of big dick energy in that decision. <laughs> you want to see the protagonist in the big pretty dress. You gotta have it. It's a reward dress. She did it. She did it. Here's the coronation gown. We do get to see Mother Ginger in a dress, and guys, I don't think I like this look. Nah, go back to the doublet and the pants. Go back know? to yeah, the pants. No. Go back to the pants and the doublet. Mother Ginger asks the Nutcracker to escort Clara back to the Christmas tree forest where she came from, and then return home to his new post as captain of the guard. And I'm not really sure what happened, because I guess that's a different kind of captain than the captain he already was. Also, I figured out why I like Helen Mirren's outfit so much. Okay. It is a Harlequin Circus version of Ezio's pre-assassin outfit in Assassin's Creed 2. <gasps> yes! And that's a very good outfit. It's a really good outfit. Nice little vest. It's got the vest, it's got the poofy shirt, it's got the pants, it's got the boots. Got it all. Got it all. But Harlequin. That outfit fucks. <laughs> Are you sure that's not just because it was on Ezio and Helen Mirren, who both fuck individually? No, because I've seen fan art of that outfit on other characters and it looks just as good. That outfit fucks. <laughs> I've seen pictures of Cassandra from Assassin's Creed Odyssey in that outfit. That outfit <gasps> fucks. You can't tell me that. <laughs> you can't tell me my wife wore the fuck outfit. <laughs> That's my wife. <laughs> That's my strong wife. That's my strong muscle wife. 
so the captain who is now a different captain than the captain he was before, but his name is Philip. Okay, let's go. Jingles is back. Jingles is here. Jingles. <laughs> it's Jingles. He's back. We love Jingles. We love you, Jingles. I'm so glad Jingles gets to see us off. We go past the Christmas tree forest. We go past the bridge. The two dudes from before that do the bit are here in the guard post box, and now they're stuck in the box together. Yeah, they both went into the box, and now they can't get out of the box. And that's that's a thing, I guess. That's curtain on the bit. We don't have to look at these guys or listen to them talk ever again. <laughs> because this movie's not getting a sequel. Clara arrives at the big hollowed out tree and, oh, the yearning. Oh, the yearning. Oh, the yearning. Honestly, if they'd done that scene where, like, he helps her up into the tree and then walks away and flexes his hand, like in that one Pride and Prejudice movie. Oh, you mean the one that, that the actors in this movie were in? Yes. Yeah. That would have been good. Yeah, that'd, that'd do it. That would do it. No, instead he just, like, he begs her to return to the realms one day. He's just like, please, please come visit again. Claire's like, oh yeah, maybe you could come to my world and meet my family. Are you Drosselmeyer's nephew? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, maybe we'll find out in the sequel. And then there was no sequel. Oh, and also Clara's back in her, like, purple dress from the party here because she has to go back to the party. Yeah, she can't show up in a completely different dress. Um, and it's still a really pretty dress, but the gown though but the coronation gown though and she's like they'll miss each other and then clara looks at him and i assume echoes something that he told her in a different version of the script she's like when you miss someone you'll remember them are you sure and one day that'll make you smile it seems like she's supposed to be coyly repeating a lesson back to him that he taught her yeah, but she never got that lesson in the, this version of the movie, so it's just kind of out of nowhere. If they did that, it would have been really cute. It would have been really cute. Where's that version of the movie? I want it. They don't kiss. They don't even hug. She doesn't even cast a glance over her shoulder to see him awkwardly waving, which he is. Which he absolutely is. He's absolutely awkwardly waving. It's so cute. But instead she just leaves, and they should have kissed. They should have kissed. At least he should have kissed her hand. Yeah. Ugh. Bye, Jingles. Bye, Jingles. We love you. We love you, Jingles. Goodbye. Clara unisekais herself, mm -hmm. which I'm pretty sure is a verb. Desekais? Clara returns back to the party. It looks like the party is wrapping up, but we don't really spend much time here, which is weird because later it doesn't seem like the party is wrapping up at all. But don't worry about it. Drosselmeyer is there, and he's like, grats, you did it. She opens up the music box, and it starts playing a song, and Drosselmeyer looks at her and is like, the greatest adventure your mother ever invented was you. And I'm like, what about Louise and Fritz? Fuck them. You mean Faramir and Bimber? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about those two? Fuck them kids. <laughs> I had one child and I hated her. I had another one and I loved her. And then I tried for a third for some reason. I hated him too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she said vaguely, the greatest invention ever made was my children. And Drosselmeyer was like, now nah, was this one. Or maybe he was just telling it to Clara because she needed it, whereas Fritz and Louise don't. But what about them? What about Fritz and Louise? They don't know that her mother, like, it's weird that she played the favorite with the middle child. Or maybe that's explicitly why she did it, because she knows middle children tend to get the shaft. I don't know. Like, no one else gets to go to their fantasy world. They're all technically royalty, too. Yeah. yeah. They could have pulled an Arnia. They could have. Louise technically is next in line. It's true. She is technically the heir to the throne. They all could have gone and been like kings and queens every Christmas at this party and then looked out on the clock and seen the real world. Don't worry about it. <laughs> 
Clara rushes out and finds her father sitting sadly, and he's like, I couldn't find you anywhere. Where did you go? She's like, oh, bother. I'm <laughs> sorry for snapping. I don't want to miss one more minute with you or Louise or Fritz. And he's like, okay, uh, let's go. And she's like, but what about my dance? Puts the little music box, puts it down somewhere, and they start to dance. And uh, as mentioned before, the dad is like, oh, this is the first song that your mother and I dance to. That has themes, right? <laughs> and then suddenly Louise and Fritz are there and they're dancing together. They start dancing in what looks like a waltz or something, but it's not really in step to the song. So I get the feeling like they were originally doing to a separate piece, probably one of the Tchaikovsky pieces that are riffed on throughout the score. And like they didn't have this little music box song yet, but they're dancing to it anyway, I guess. I guess to a certain value of to it. Mm hmm. <laughs> And then Drosselmeyer looks down on them dancing as the whole family who are also here. And he smiles. And then we cut to the party, which I guess is still in swing. It's fine. And Clara dances with her father and puts her head on his chest and smiles. Like, it seems to imply that Clara's emotional arc involved her father somehow he was not in most of this movie <laughs> and the owl flies by like the owl was important what 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 <laughs> the narrative heft does the father have here why are we going out on this it's weird is she the new mom is that louise it's all confusing the end there are so many different versions of this movie in this one movie <laughs> I think this is endemic of a lot of Disney's movies these days. The movies all pass through so many hands before they get to the public that any of these is going to be a Frankenstein by the time it hits the public eye. Which is so fascinating because it's that perpetual problem of Disney does not want to take financial risks despite being one of the largest, if not the largest, media conglomerate in the Western world, perhaps the entire world at this point. Disney owns so much, they have so much money, they have enough money to take weird risks, to make weird movies, but they choose not to. They choose to go for the safest thing imaginable, which is what all these live-action versions are. And Nutcracker is weird. Nutcracker should have been weirder. It should have either made more sense or less. And instead, it's kind of sitting in this weird middle ground. It feels like there's at least five different versions of this movie that, like, fragments of it are, are left in and stitched together. But the problem is that, like, it's usually the same scene that they stitched all the different versions together for. Which is why there's, like, seven different callbacks to things that didn't happen in one sequence. <laughs> Such a weird mess. I would be fascinated to know, like, we'll never get it because the mouse don't talk, but mm -hmm. I would be fascinated to learn what the, the development process was for this f***ing movie. What did that look like? And I mean, I feel like they did enough of a marketing blitz that they were, like, expecting it would do well. The budget was either 120 or $133 million, guessing that the extra money is an estimate of how much they spent on marketing. And then the box office was $174 million, which means that it made its money back, but unless you make, like, two to three times your budget at the box office, you're considered a flop. And Disney don't truck with anything that even remotely flops. You know what's weird, though, after all this? I still come out kind of liking this movie. Yeah, when it got emotional near the end, I did tear up a little bit. <laughs> I honestly enjoyed watching it. This wasn't Alpha and Omega. There was no point in this movie <laughs> where I wished I wasn't watching this movie. I watched it twice, and I, like, enjoyed both viewings. I didn't really get anything out of the second one, because there's not that much here to get. 
Yeah, this isn't a movie you can really pull apart that much. No, a lot of like the primary cast is really solid and they're doing some good work here. Especially the young up-and-comers. Absolutely. Like both these kids are going places. Like they better, frankly. Not to hit Jupiter Ascending again, but Jupiter Ascending is a movie you can watch over and over again because it's so narratively and visually dense (laughs) that every time you watch it, you pick out something that you hadn't noticed before. There's so much to look at in the entire bureaucracy planet alone. Yeah. Like, you could break that down frame by frame and still have to watch it several times. And this one is, like, kind of dense in the same way, but mostly just visually and most of the things that are visually dense and interesting aren't really substantial there's so much to look at but there's not a whole lot here this movie is like several different versions of this movie layered on top of one and they're all going in and out of focus like you're trying to see the letters at an optometrist appointment and the moments when they all focus in it works it's got a lot of the same vibe as the first snow white and the huntsman movie honestly Mm -hmm. In that you could tell that this is several different movies trying to exist in the same space. I would put the graduation hierarchy from Nutcracker in the Four Realms. At level 16, it evolves into Snow White and the Huntsman. Okay. Which is the same kind of thing, but slightly hornier, and there's a lot more awakenings there. If you're on the fence about whether you're bisexual and then you watch Snow White and the Huntsman, you will have come to a conclusion by the time you're done watching it. And then you keep going, and then at level 36, you evolve into Jupiter Ascending. Yes, that sounds right. And that's the evolution tree for this. I feel like we have discovered the first evolution of this saga. Yeah, this is the baby version that you get at the start of your adventure. Exactly. And then by the end of it, you have Channing Tatum with angel wings. (laughs) You have Channing Tatum with angel wings. (laughs) Holding a gun on the guy who f***ed with you and saying, can I kill him? And you have a screenplay throwing words at you like Janam Janeered. Yes. (laughs) And it tries to tell you about dinosaurs, but decides that's too high budget and doesn't give a sh**. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, most movies should try to be Jupiter Ascending. Oh, and then also if this was a Digimon line, the thing where if you Digivolve the Digimon wrong and it turns evil for a second, like like in Digimon Adventure. Is uh, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That was the Ultra Greymon, Skull Greymon split. Yeah, that was the Skull Greymon. Thank you for seeing where I was going. I caught on fairly quick. I feel like our hypothesis was correct, y'all. I think this was actually our shit. I think this was actually our garbage, but like a baby yeah. version of our garbage. Yes, it could have been more of our garbage, but it is still enough our garbage. Yes. I will take ownership of this film. To the point where, like, I looked at some of the Rotten Tomatoes pull quotes from it, and it was like, will children really be nostalgic for this drivel? And that made my caretaking instincts kick in, and I wanted to hug the movie tighter to me and saying, like, you don't talk that way about my baby. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure critics were saying the same thing about the f***ing Swan Princess, and look where we are now. (laughs) With, like, what, nine? Nine whole Swan Princess movies? Richard Rich must be stopped. God (laughs) damn it, Richard Rich. Kit, what's your final fact? My final fact is, if you're into a girl in high school who wears leather jackets and smokes and hangs out in, like, sketchy parking lots way too late at night and will hang out with you at the convenience store when you should really be at home by now, but it's, like, Friday night and you don't have a curfew, so it's, like, whatever, and you hang out at the video store a little bit, but this is already, like, the dying era of blockbusters, so you mostly just loiter without actually renting anything. Eventually, she will ask you to distract the guy behind the counter so she can steal some smokes, and I don't think you should do that, no matter how hot she is. Oh, sweetheart. (laughs) Oh, honey. (laughs) Bless your little gay heart. 
I have a major weakness for Samara weaving. Now you know why. <laughs> Same energy. <laughs> Mac, what's your final fact? In Freud's The Uncanny, he discussed how the word unheimlich can mean both something that is comfortable or familiar to you, but also unfamiliar or mysterious. I would like to discuss how in this movie, the clowns are very familiar to us because we all recognize clowns, but somehow they are even made more terrifying by being turned into toys that are rushing nesting dolls, and they're terrifying in this essay. <laughs> I will. Thank you, Mackenzie. Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> I love you. Annie, what's your final fact? My final fact is that all movies should have a gun that goes bark bark and a man with angel wings. <laughs> this movie affected us in very different ways. <laughs> I think we have effectively proven that the Nutcracker in the Four Realms is our shit and that it is also the baby version of movies that are also our shit. Yep. Yep. You may have noticed that we have done this movie because it is a Christmas movie. Sort of. Sort of. It, it came out during Christmas, and Christmas is mentioned in it. When this comes out, it's going to be, like, November. That means that, well, it's Christmas time now. Christmas is from 1159 to October 31st, all the way to uh, Epiphany, as far as we're concerned. Yes. Christmas is very long, and I love it, and Birthmas is in the middle of it, and Christmas, 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 Christmas. But we will never have a feast of Epiphany like they do in The Dead by James Joyce. <laughs> That's our special epiphany episode. We should repost that. <laughs> I appreciate your need to ASMR that particular bit. <laughs> it's very important to note this. So next episode is going to come out in the month of December. I think actually during Birthmas. Don't quote me on this. But the important thing is that it is close to my birthday. I don't care that it also means that it's close to Kit's birthday. My birthday comes first and I say. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't tell people when my birthday is. I said close to. <laughs> You're right. No, you don't have a birthday. You're an eldritch unknown creature. I am unknowable. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've made a brand of my birthday. How dare you try to perceive me? During the entire season of Christmas, which means <laughs> that I have made an executive decision. We've all decided that Annie gets to make the executive decision on this one. Which means that Kit has finally relented and has let me and Mackenzie talk about... The weirdest Rankin-Bass Christmas special that has ever existed. No, it's not the one based on the L. Frank Baum story. That one's weird, but it's not this one. We're going to talk about Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. Yep. And everyone will get to hear about the shitty drive. And just about that one time when we lived together and we watched Rankin-Bass films for like a month straight. We found a torrent of like all of them. Hey kids, remember torrents? The Rankin and Bass massive crossover that also involves so much lore about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You guys aren't going to believe this shit. <laughs> Deep Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer lore. I don't know exactly how good this episode is going to be, but it's going to be a Christmas episode. It's certainly going to be dense. <laughs> so join us when we talk about Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. Yep. And that's the fact. The fact is we're talking about Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. It's immutable. <laughs> that is, in fact, what we're talking about. Because I have bullied my friends into doing it with me. <laughs> Didn't bully me, fool. It's true. You bullied me into doing it. I bullied kid into doing it. <laughs> Whatever. I bullied you into watching so many trash movies for this podcast. I feel like Turnabout's fair play. Mackenzie is my willing accomplice. It's going to be great. I love Frankenstein. <laughs> 
I Will Fight You comes out every five weeks wherever you download podcasts. It is edited by Lucas Brown of The Math of You Podcast, which you can find at, I don't know, just Google The Math of You. He's there. Lucas Brown is a delight, and you should listen to his things. If you want to listen to our things, again, wherever you download podcasts, or you can find more information about I Will Fight You and our other projects on CrookedRussianCam.horse. That is our website. We should probably buy CrookedRussianCam.gay just to cover our bases. Hang on, I'm checking. <laughs> and you can also find us on Twitter at- $40. $40? I'll do that. $40. $30? $40. Yeah, no, I'm doing that. F*** it. Okay. We're going to get CrookedRussianCam.gay too by the time this goes up. Check it out. Also, witness our decision-making process, folks. <laughs> it is instantaneous and dumb. If there's any other way we make decisions, I don't want to know about them. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter at CRC Podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, where you can also find our video series, Date Me, Damn It, which Mackenzie does great work on. We also have Gem Jammer, which Kit does her best. We're bad at it. We, she does her best to, to shepherd us along. This is a backhanded compliment, I feel. <laughs> You're very good and we're bad at dungeons. <laughs> we're the worst at them. I feel at least partially responsible for the fact that we spent like eight more episodes than we were planning on in the fucking Castle Kronos situation. Oh, that's entirely our fault. Again, bad at dungeons. Yeah, I mean, I did have inside information, but I chose to play dumb because otherwise it wouldn't be as fun. Well, obviously, and Mr. Hurst is a big dumb man. He is a very large dumb man, and that's why we love him. <laughs> we love him. Is Mr. Hurst the himbo? Ooh. You know, he might be. I think I might have to make a separate NPC chart. For himbos? <laughs> mm -hmm. So Mr. Hurst is the himbo among the NPCs. Hippo himbo. Hippo. 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 And Alviva is the himbo among the peeps. Yeah, we need to diagram this out, but not right now. We have to end this podcast. <laughs> if you would like to give us money to hear us do these terrible things, like say these awful words, you can do that on patreon.com slash the gem jam for a dollar a month, as well as other dollars. You can find all sorts of things that we do. I'm losing the thread here. <laughs> We love you. Somebody took the $69 tier. And I'm still reeling. We love our people. We love you. We don't understand your decisions, but we're very happy for it. We're just sitting over here very confused and delighted. Please compliment us. Please tell us we're doing a good job. I need to hear it. <laughs> You're doing a good job, Annie. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Join us next time when Birthmas season continues with Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. Until next time, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you. Stop recording. Thank you, Lucas. We love Thank you. Thank you, Lucas. Sorry that this is two hours and 43 minutes of cats and nutcracker. I gotta say, I did breathe in a bit deeply when Helen Mirren showed up in, like, that outfit. Yeah, well. Yeah, uh, <laughs> one of my points is going to be, I can't tell if this movie has sapphic energy or if I'm just really attracted to Kira Knightley and Helen Mirren. <laughs> I mean, it's Kira Knightley, though. It's Kira Knightley and Helen Mirren, though. Hanging out in the attic with her little brother. Fitz. Fit Fitz. Fitz. Fritz. Fritz. Fritz, that one. <laughs> Hubert! No, I'll be right back. <laughs> what do you think Hubert's doing? If he's escalated to banging at the door. <laughs> I think perhaps he's just decided to lay down and die and let her know that he's dying.
Do you think he could die quietly? No. <laughs> I have not met this cat, but I'm pretty sure no. 45 minutes of early morning cat fights. Impressive. Nope, you're stuck here. <laughs> Is this a punishment cuddle? It's a punishment cuddle. Punishment cuddle is in place. Okay. You yep. good? He hates it. Okay. Stop scratching my couch. Stop it. <laughs> you have scratchy post. Stop scratching my couch. <laughs> I've been playing Dangle for the last 20 minutes. Am I the only one who's not having a cat problem this morning? Yes. yes. Wow. How the turns have tabled. Here, this is a punishment cuddle. <laughs> Stop biting me. Hello. Can I help you, sir? <laughs> We've got cat problems in stereo now. I'm getting left out. Do I need to go find a cat? Nope. Get your head out of the plastic bag. To attack you while we're recording? Well, at least he yelled at me. I'm starting to feel a little left out. Like, you know, the version of Hansel and Gretel witch hunters we made up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean the one that's just the fancy little boy in the woods? <laughs> no, you can't! <laughs> I can't say Hansel Griddle Witch Hunters without laughing because I just And then when she goes back, she'll be she'll be resekai'd. I'm sorry. Is it because it came from me, the person who doesn't anime? A little bit. It's mostly I like conjugating words that shouldn't conjugate. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm cool. I'm fine. Everything good? We're good? <laughs> sure. Let's let's get this fucking movie over with. Okay.